Hi, and welcome to Pockets Full of Soup, the storytelling show. I'm your host, Jared Petty. I'm joined to my left, to your right, in some direction relative to you in this universe by this friend. Who are you? Hey, it's Marty Sleva. It is Marty Sleva. That was just a just a tremendously energetic opening. I try to have energetic openings. Holy but I, moly! I think I burned out a little at the end. I was taking. I, I was just taken aback. Taken aback by yeah. Well, you know, within this pudgy form, yeah, is is the body of an Olympic athlete. There's a great. There's a great fire inside you. I see. There's a great fire inside. Yeah. Fire walk with me. Yeah. That's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's from uh, 90210. That Beverly is from Hills. 90210. Uh, 90210, The Return. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, that's that show with the older Luke Perry where he hangs out with the Archie kids. Yeah. And no way. Didn't you already have that podcast? We had, we, we're always working our way back to that. Uh, my, my, yes. Always always back to that. Always back to Undertale. We find a way one, one way or the other. Yeah, definitely. life finds a way. Life does find a way. Mm-hmm. Starring uh, the Jeff Goldblum, star of the upcoming Thor uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, right there. That's how uh, they're gonna. That's how they're gonna talk about the end of days in the film. Yeah, the, gonna, rag, the, the, yeah the Norse end of days. They're just gonna bring up a guitar rag, and rock. I feel like that movie's got the got the right vibe for that. It's got a good vibe. It's got all those colors on all the posters. Yeah, I like movies with colors. Yeah, I like the colors too. Yeah. What's a, What's a movie with uh, with colors that you like? Uh, the Fall. Ooh, I haven't seen from, the Fall. From Tarsem, he's the director. He also did uh, the Cell. Uh, but the Fall. Ooh, you should you should say the. It's a movie about about telling stories. But Wait, it's is the guy who did the Cell. Yeah. Oh, I like the song. Yeah, you should see The Fall is a much better movie than the song. Okay. All right. Um, check it out. It's, it's a movie about storytelling. Oh, well, and that it has this, several colors, including red. This is the storytelling show. That's the storytelling movie. You know, thanks to our Patreon producers, Nick Rie and Robert Nieder, this show is possible uh, just about every week in one form or another, and we're thankful for it. I was just really impressed that you uh, you don't have paper in front of you. You didn't look that up. You I didn't just, look You know up. who your producers are. I don't I know do. who my producers are. You know who your producers are? Aren't your producers Sean Finnegan and- Yeah, uh, I guess Zach. Zach Ryan, yeah. Well, Wait, I don't Zach, know. Yeah. Was it Zach Ryan? Zach Ryan. Zach Ryan, that's his name, right? Yeah. yeah. That guy. That's his name. Yeah. That's what some folks know him as. Yeah. I, 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 like, to, I like to think him of him as Zach Archibald Ryan. Yeah. So the fall, this uh, colorful movie you're talking about, yeah. is the fall a movie about autumn, or is it a movie about something falling? Uh, it is a movie about a. Uh, it's called the fall because it stars a stuntman back in like the the Buster Keaton era of film who uh, during a fall breaks his back and has to go to a hospital. Oh, that that does not sound fun at all. No, but then I- he meets a little girl in the hospital and he uh, is telling her stories as a means for her to get him uh, morphine. Oh, he's in pain. But okay. the stories he tells her are depicted in the film. Sounds like an uplifting uh, it uh, film. Sort of is. <laughs> is yeah, and all the stories are like allegorical and starring the different like uh, nurses and doctors in the hospital. Um, it's very good. Stories about injury can Charles be... Charles Darwin's a character in the movie. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would definitely love that. Is Charles Darwin uh, alive during the period this this film was taking place? No, or is he, he, is, he is a character in the story. Oh. It's sort of a... Yeah. It's very... This is a weird movie to describe. Yeah. It's, I, it's good. You should that. watch it if you like colors. I will definitely mm-hmm. watch it. Well, I do. I do indeed love colors. I love, yeah. the, I love colors out of space. The color um, out of space. Yeah, that's uh, H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's, that's a weird old story. Yeah. Cthulhu's are kind of scary. When, when you were a kid, did yeah. you get the big box of 64 Crayola crayons with the I sharpener? I did eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the sharpener, yeah. That was like an abundance of riches. I feel like I'm a, I'm a person who needs, like, I, I appreciate... Uh, being able to make a decision and having options and choice and personalizing something. But at a certain point, I'm like, okay, we're getting too many colors. A 64 color palette was too many. That might be, that might be pushing it. That might be it. Okay. I was wondering about that. What, 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 what's your ideal palette to work with? This is going to tell me what, like pla- really, what my, classical the, platform you should be developing for. I mean, the, the problem is I'm a really bad artist. It's like a visual artist. So was it 16, eight, 16. 
Okay, yeah. so it's like 16. That that's C64 territory. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, 16 colors is Commodore 64. Okay. That had yeah. a, a locked 16 color palette. Okay. Or, or the NES had a 53 to 56, depending on how you look at it, color palette, but you can only have 16 on screen at a time. But Super Nintendo was my favorite thing ever. Oh, no, the Super Nintendo, that had 32,000 colors. That's, to too many, that's too many colors. Yeah. but And you could have a lot. I think it was uh, the max on screen was still really well, high. Well, the thing was, I never had to choose the colors. Like 512. Like I if I was playing Secret of Mana, they weren't like, what color is this bush? And I would just be like, nope, you choose. It's green. You're playing secret of mana so everything was good anyway yeah yeah that's a good I like that game I, I like that game a lot good, too. good music what secret of mana yeah. yeah just a bit yeah definitely that ice forest though good tombs yeah, yeah. happy tombs. also the only video game i can think of where fighting santa claus is a good thing yeah yeah i mean come with on. three players what games are three players that's weird yeah uh well, it's a, games that are three players there's some games that are three players there's uh um oh i was just thinking about ghostbusters the arcade game ghostbusters the arcade game three players yeah uh rampage Three players. Yeah, Rampage is three players. That's yeah. a three player. Uh, Rampart, three Rampart. players. Every Ninja Turtles game. Uh, three. Well, that, no. See, and I was going. <laughs> well, no, you do. I no, mean, no, you no, have I, four, but no, it, have, it has to be. It has to be purely three players. Like aimed at three players. Yeah, no. that Ghostbusters arcade game was kind of odd. Yeah. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Yeah, I found out not too long ago. Actually, I found out that that was like a completely different game in Japan that was just repurposed with Ghostbuster stuff. Weird. Yeah, but then they like really built on it. It wasn't just like a quick palette swap. They actually changed the mechanics quite a bit. But it's a totally different game. Huh. In Japan, yeah, it's kind of a strange thing. Man, three player games. Three is fun. I mean, three is, yeah. three is a good number. You're just like because sometimes it's hard to get four people together. It's like you want to play D and D. I want my four people. Yeah, but you can't get them all. Three was a weird. It was just weird for the Super Nintendo to have to buy that adapter for. A handful of games. Yeah, what else did you have? You had... You had uh, that was the only game I used it for. I don't know. Was there like a Bomberman game? Probably. Maybe. Well, yeah. There, I, there, I mean, who doesn't want to play a Bomberman game? But again, three players. It's just an odd number. Yeah. I don't know. What's, what are, are there board games that are fun with three players? I'm trying to think of a good three-player board game. I feel like there ought to you be one out there. You play like Monopoly or Life with three people. You can, but it feels like the balance is out. Clue. Yeah. Clue you can kind of play with three players. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It's weird. When I was in England, I had to discover it's Cluedo. It's Cluedo everywhere but here. What, what's yeah. up with that? I don't know. It's really weird. I think I've what asked is that before. What is a Cluedo? I don't. I have no idea. That's right. You are a trivia master. I am. You are actually a trivia master. Like, this is, this is, you are in fact, is that your title, trivia master? No, I call it, I'm the Herald of Riddle Quest. The Herald of Riddle Quest. I mean, no, I made that up. Uh, no, that I'd sounds s- like a guy who's really good at Quiz and Dragons, the arcade my, game. <laughs> my problem is I don't like to call myself a trivia master because I don't think I'm... I've definitely met people who are much better at trivia than me. But, but you, I host. But I you're create. the master of the trivia. To, yeah. I'm, I'm like the, the master of celebrations that night. Yeah. Okay. So you you create the trivia questions. For for those who don't know what we're talking about here yes. and they're horribly confused wondering where this is going, uh, what do you do? Uh, I uh, host Pub Trivia Weekly uh, at a couple of ours, actually, in San Francisco. But um, So that involves uh, coming up with uh, questions in various topics every week, mm-hmm. including current events stuff, music round, general knowledge things, and then I create a theme round every week. Uh, so I create questions in all of those, and then uh, for about two and a half hours, I host every and week. So. And a lot of prep goes into that. A lot like of prep goes into it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's... Uh, it's it's a reason to sort of get a lot of my pals together and uh, w- just witness people get drunk. How do you get to take Pubmaster vacations? Uh, generally, I forget to tell my boss, who's the owner of the bar, until like the the morning of, and then I text him. I'm like, "Hey, I'm sorry, uh, I can send you questions." He just hosts. He just hosts. Yeah. Wow. But you usually get small crowds because the the people who come are people who know me, so I feel like it's job security. So you're the draw. I am. You're the, you're the talent. I am. I had right. my worst. Uh, 
we've had a bunch of like really cool folks in the video game industry uh pop by who are in town and one gdc we had uh ali moss the artist are, are you are you are you name dropping your pub trivia i'm name dropping but i'm named trust me this the name drop doesn't go well okay. um so Ali Moss, who's uh, he's an incredible artist. You may have seen some of his posters for he's he's done takes on everything from Harry Potter to Star Wars to he's a phenomenal artist. Uh, look him up. Uh, but he was in town, and uh, in between every round, or no, he would hand the answer sheet for his team, and he put a doodle on the back of each one. Aww. and it was Mario, Link, Sonic, and then the last one was me. <gasps> Threw all of them away. You threw? Why did you throw them away? I wasn't thinking, and I was drunk by that point. Marty. Yep. Real bad move on my part. Kids, this is a lesson on the dangers of alcohol, uh, and how it can force, or, how uh, how it can influence you <laughs> to, uh, to first to bang your arm. On yeah, the table, that was a bad move. And uh, and you're sober right now, though. So I'm completely. I'm dead sober. You don't. You don't have an excuse here. But how it can influence you to throw away uh, beautiful big pieces of art. Yeah, I real. I real. Screw the pooch there. Yeah, it's, it's a great yeah. moment. That is. That's a, what's your what trivia question are you most proud of? You've been creating them for years now. What's one that you're just like, man? That was a good trivia question. Ooh, that's a that's a tough question. I've had rounds that I really like. Um, I really like the round of famous assassins. Ooh, where I name like a famous assassin throughout history, and mm-hmm. then you have to name who the person who 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 they killed. Wow, was. so you're like you you hear the assassin's name, you have to because assassin like names kind of like, you, you you remember them. Yeah, right? like you so remember you're... a name like Sirhan Sirhan or yeah. or Gavrilo Princip. Um, yeah, because I'm kind of a history nerd, so that's uh, I like that round. We do picture rounds. Um, so you like more your thematic concert? Thematic. I, I do music rounds that I'll, I'll play a song that's sort of one to one associated generally mm-hmm. with a movie. A long time ago, I did a little podcast called "Contestants, Are You Ready?" Okay, uh, that was I remember. Awesome. Yeah, and that was fun, and I, the writing the questions was definitely yeah, my favorite yeah. part of that. But I go to your your pub trivia sometimes. You're so good at it. You, Thank you. you. Just, you're very good at creating engaging questions. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a sort of a delicate balance I like to walk between. I don't want anyone to feel dumb. I've been in some pub trivia's where the they're, they're very hard, which there's totally a time and place for that. Um, uh, our, our friends on uh, Good Job Brain are, are far smarter. They're good. They're good. They're good at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're some smart cookies. They are some there. smart cookies. Um, but I, I like this sort of having an inclusive one to where uh, everyone. I like to think everyone knows a third of the questions. The the if if if, if you know you're a sharp if you're one of the sharper knives in the drawer, you know another third of the questions. And then if you're if you're going to get in first place, you know the other third. Of so the that's questions. your target kind of ratio. I was yeah, ask you yeah. About that. When it comes to to quizzes and games in general, mm-hmm. and 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 host I, right now on on network television, uh, I don't watch all the television. I don't really have television yeah. anymore. Do any of us? Um, no. I, yeah, I think somebody's watching CSI. Um, yeah, a lot of people on it. I don't know any of them. So, I mean, same thing with Big Bang Theory. Who are? Where are all these people? They're somewhere. They're the same people. My theory is they're the same people that were watching Stargate. Um, I like to think that was, there's there's some like weird warehouse in like in in Louisiana that just has a shit ton of TVs that are just on. Yeah, and that's uh, where all those views come in. There's just it's like it's it's like it's where they put the, layer. It's like where they put the Ark of the Covenant in okay. the back of that warehouse. But there's just a ton of TVs that are just it's set just to that, CBS on it's Monday that nights. Room from the Stanley Parable. Just okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Say, like, oh, that explains it. Now this uh, they pointed out. Uh, I listened to um, Laser Time and Thirty Twenty Ten. Some they were talking not too long ago about who who in the world watched Stargate. They made like seven different series. Yeah, and. Obviously, you don't know they anyone kept who making them, and like somebody was watching. Everyone them. knows what Stargate is. No one ever watched it though. It's but somebody apparently strange. did because they made like like thirty seasons. Of Stargate you, it was shows. the it was the TV warehouse. Huh? It's it was the, the TV warehouse. 
Oh, the TV warehouse sounds like, kind of like a fun place. I mean, I like TV. I like TV. Yeah. They like, would... Generally, warehouses can be cool depending on what they're filled with. What about the men's warehouse? Uh, that place, I don't like that man on that commercial. Well, he's not there anymore. They oh. fired him. Did they? Yeah. Was it because... Of well, I don't know was... if they fired him. He might have stepped away. I don't want to... Was it because he was off-putting? No, no. I think it was because business stuff I don't understand. Sure. Yeah, that's it. He got a little too big for his britches. But right now, in the game show realm, yeah, yes. we, have, we have The Price is Right. The Price is Right. We have Wheel of Fortune, mm-hmm. we have Jeopardy, and we have Family Feud. I think those are the ones that have kind of survived. Yeah. Uh, millionaires on sometimes. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, but, and I think the big three, like, in terms of, like, Price is Right's a national institution. Sure. And Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune are Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune are the primetime ones. But then, then again, I don't want to discount Family Feud because it's kind of had a resurgence under Steve Harvey. Um, yeah. It's it's actually become like like the mid afternoon one. That, yeah, that, that lots and lots of people watch. We did, and we had that sort of that that game show boom. What was it the late nineties, early aughts? Yeah, you know the he wants me to know weakest link. All yeah. that weird stuff coming over from England. You are the weakest link. Yeah, she was mean. Goodbye. She was yeah. a feisty one. She was a feisty lady. And mm-hmm. then you had that that weird like like horror game show thing where it was reality. Fear Factor? Yeah, they would pour spiders down your pants. And yeah, I didn't. I, didn't I never like that. Stuff. I didn't particularly. Like I was crazy about that. There was also either. the one where like people had to like live or, like hang out a night in like a spooky place, and they had like GoPros on their face. And yeah, there was that, that one fear. Too. I think it was called. I, I think know. it was just called. Fear. Everything was fear. I remember eventually somebody just made a made a parody that was just called the Probe. Yeah, and it was it was just a, a a TV commercial with this long elongated spiky yeah. point in a chair. Yeah, coming up behind it. I can like, see that. Yeah, that would have been television in the, in yeah. the early two thousands. I like the uh, the old Nickelodeon game shows. Oh, Legends oh, of the Hidden Temple. Legends of the Hidden Temple. Double Dare. Figure it out. Funhouse. Do Funhouse. Yeah. Nick um, Arcade. Nick Arcade. That was always a weird. Nick, Nick Arcade. Arcade was hot. That was weird. <laughs> well, Nick Arcade. The questions were never all that riveting. And, yeah, and then the game. Choices were interesting. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, uh, but of the other, Nicola, you had, you had the guts. Where you guts, the global guts. That was the, my guts. first taste of imperialism. Oh, global yeah. guts. <laughs> I, I feel like it. <laughs> double dare and super yeah. sloppy double super dare. Sl- yeah, that was a. Brian Altano actually was on Double Dare last yeah. uh, San Diego Comic Con. He got he got gacked, and he talked about that. It didn't sound particularly nice. He know, said I it th- just got everywhere, like every crack. Every crevice, like got this gat crack. Oh God, he had a gat crack. Yeah, <laughs> I hate that term. Pretty sure he still has a gat crack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this next time I see him, be like, if you see Brian Altano, be like, hey Brian, what's up? Either gat crack, crack, brat, brat, gat crack. Yep, yep. Hashtag gat crack. Hashtag yeah. terrible. I don't, I don't want to see what happens there. No, I don't either. <laughs> Let's stay off that subreddit. Our slash gat crack. We're not going to. That. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So shifting from that. If you were Angie and I were talking about this the other day, this has gone off the rails. Totally not at all where I intended for it to go. What I love is I'm here recording two separate episodes of of your show, and I'm still not sure which one this is. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't we haven't solidified which which show I'm on yet. So I I I had I know this. I probably should have mentioned it before we started. You're getting a taste (laughs) of of. Of the ennui and disorganization that goes into each and every episode of Pockets Full of Soup. As uh, someone who's guested on the Comedy Button several times, oh, I'm already well aware of disorganization. (laughs) Also of being like, oh, didn't realize that we've been recording for the last 10 minutes. Well, we really do like to try to have a a little more structure than that normally. Sure. Um, But I I have kind of just gone off the rails on this one. But I do want to ask you, just because it's fun. um, So someday, Mm -hmm. Pat Sajak and Alex Trebek are going to have to stop hosting because they'll either decide to retire or sure. they'll just die. Sure. That happens to people. Yeah. Um, usually one of those happens. So if both of those shows were to continue, 
Who would you cast to host them? That's a... If you're going to host Wheel of Fortune and you were going to host Jeopardy. Would, uh, are we assuming Vanna White's also gone, so we would need a new uh, woman to touch the screen? <laughs> I, I think I'm going to stick to the hosts. Okay, right stick now. to the hosts. Let's stick to the hosts. Um, I, cause, uh, cause, you know, anybody could touch a screen, uh, but I don't know if anybody could do it like Vanna does. Sure. You know, so I, I figure that, that you can probably pick a good person for that, but I want to stick to the hosts right now. Uh, I would like, uh, Tracy Morgan to host, uh, Wheel of Fortune. Tracy Morgan. Yeah. That's exceptional. Yeah. Why Tracy Morgan? Uh, because I feel like he is just a, he's just a wild card. <laughs> like he's just a, he's like, like putting like a, a feral animal <laughs> inside of a room and closing the door. I mean, like, ah, I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, is that just his unique brand of humor? Like yeah, the way he approaches yeah, it? and it's just totally like I'm laughing at the idea of his producers being like, all right, this is the script, and him being like, sure, and then it starts and it's like, oh, he's already off script. Oh, great. And you feel like this would be compelling television? I would love to watch you that. Watch yeah. that happen. Um, okay. Do you think then, the show could survive? Oh, absolutely not. No, I yeah. think he would like he would <laughs> <laughs> he'd come in one morning and just the wheel wouldn't be there. <laughs> they'd be like, Tracy, where'd the wheel go? And he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. How much of that do you think is, is Tracy Morgan's comedic persona? How much of that do you think is Tracy Morgan? Oh, I th- I think it's it's somewhere in the middle of okay. that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um then Jeopardy, I feel like Jeopardy needs to be played a little bit straighter. Okay. Um you think who who can who can say because I feel like people say Alex Trebek's got an easy job and I disagree. Uh, Alex Trebek he, he reads every question. He has to do it with that kind of perfect cadence and enunciation. He's got to be slightly relatable and get there. But he's also got to feel a little bit above everything that's happening. Uh, Bill Clinton. <laughs> I would I would give limbs to see Bill Clinton. to see Bill Clinton host Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. That'd be kind of amazing. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, I was gonna say Barack Obama, but I think he's still got some. He's still got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's taken like a. He's been on vacation for a couple months, but I feel like he's got to come back to Maybe work. Got, got, got some other he's things. Got, he's got, got some to do work for to a while. Do. Okay. Yeah. So these are your choices: yeah. Bill Clinton and uh, and Tracy Morgan. Yeah. Any come to any come to mind for you? What if Bill? Clinton... Also, oh my God, I want to hang out with those yeah, two. I was now. gonna say like, yeah, that that's an adventure. Great. Well, how about we just have a show where Bill Clinton and Tracy Morgan travel across America and solve crimes? Yeah. I've been. Totally. But I wow. want them to be like real, real dumb crimes, like a pie off a windowsill. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the pies disappear. Yeah, yeah. I gotta go find that pie. Yeah, yeah. I got. I watched that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I got yeah. the thumb. Yeah. My, I think my all-time favorite Saturday Night Live moment is Bill Clinton in the Rose Garden with the thumb and yeah. the whole, the whole uh, I am bulletproof. Yeah, of that is just. <laughs> It's one of the shortest sketches they've ever done. It's it's right after he got got off the hook for Whitewater. Yeah. And he he looks into the camera and he just goes, I am bulletproof. <laughs> and he just turns around and stops like he's forgotten something, leans back in and goes, next time you best bring kryptonite. And that's it. And then he just walks. And that's the end of the sketch. And you're just sitting there going, how did you get away with everything you did? Yeah. And why am I strangely laughing at yeah. it at this moment when that's probably not the appropriate response? Yeah. Was that Daryl Hammond? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was, he was really, really, was really good yeah. at that. But, um, you know, there is theoretically a theme to this episode. Okay. Um, by the way, my pick for, for Jeopardy. I, I oh, like yeah. Angie's suggestion. Um, uh, I like Patton Oswalt um, for Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, Ooh, yeah. I thought he could be fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, we both wanted Wayne Brady originally to take over Price is Right. Um, but I feel like Wayne Brady could do uh, Wheel, Wheel of Fortune, Fortune pretty yeah. well. Um, but I think there's still more. I, Pat Sajak's snark yeah. is really going to be... I don't know if you can go back to snark. Sure. 
because he really does just kind of have this sort of in another life pat sajak was a highwayman <laughs> with a big hat and a yeah. feather and yeah. he rode up in boots in the night and like robbed your carriage yeah <laughs> and said something dashing and rode away yeah. into the night yeah like he like kissed the lady's hand sure. and then like rode off i feel like that's <laughs> what he was called to be and he's born in the wrong century. fortune is the closest he could yeah. get in our day and age it's beautiful yeah, that's, that's uh, so I I, I kind of worship that guy. It's <laughs> have a thing for game shows. Right? Yeah. yeah. So beyond these stunning world events uh-huh. that we've that we've got now now that we've gotten the pleasantries out I'm of the still way, still so excited to figure out what show I'm and on. And there were only twenty minutes <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> in theory, what we were going to talk about is uh, something. That's very close to your heart. Pockets Full of Soup is a show about the things and the people and the places we're okay, thankful well, for. Soup. Right. Yeah, this is Pockets Full of Soup. Um, and what we're going to talk about here for a second is a sort of a sort of an extended instant noodles freeform discussion mm-hmm. about something you care very deeply about. Yes. And it's a very we, we talk about movies and television a lot on Pockets more mm-hmm. than I ever expected to. Yeah. You care a lot about the particular art of screenwriting. Yes. Um, and we're going to talk some about that because it's an aspect of entertainment that that when we're watching a tv show we obviously maybe it's something we barely notice when it's at its best oh sure if, if you're doing your job right it is neither it's neither seen nor heard yeah and when you're doing your job poorly uh it's the only thing anyone can see or hear well let's jump right into that then um what's what's a moment in in screenwriting that you kind of went oh my i'm noticing this way too much um we were actually talking about Suicide Squad before this. Okay. <laughs> uh, wait, are you talking about screenwriting, like watching a movie? Yeah, or, okay. f- or a television show. Just something um, like, whoa. I mean, I, I think uh, ultimately uh, Pat Inverse, Superman, and Suicide Squad are victims of uh, what are very clearly screenplays by committee, mm-hmm. which means not one person wrote them, but several people wrote them and rewrote them and chopped them up and put them back into bits. Uh I wanted to walk out of the theater in Batman vs Superman when the Martha thing came up, mm-hmm. and it was why did you say her name? And it turns out these two superheroes who were clashing and going to kill each other realized their mothers had the same name, and that was enough. That was enough to that stop was it enough. right there. Yeah, he was about to stab that man with that that big kryptonite, the kryptonite stick. spear. Yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 oh, it was Christ imagery. Okay, it was the spear of was Longulus? Spear uh, of Legolas. I don't know the spear, spear of Legolas. So what was the thing that Roman? Actually, the Roman. Let's be let's be clear. Legolas used the longbow that he got from Galadriel, uh, strewn with elvish hair, and actually, also a long white knife. Actually, so, I like Orlando Bloom. Yeah, you like the Orlando Bloom. I like yeah. Orlando Bloom. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think he's really handsome. He's a really pretty man. I would kiss yeah. that man. Yeah, yeah. Like also, him. real good actor. I liked him in Elizabethtown. Yeah, uh, I really liked Elizabethtown. I did a too. Of, a lot of people don't like it. I liked it. A lot of why? Why do you like it? Um. I think uh, the way he uses music in his movies is really great. And I think that that, that movie is almost a movie about music. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a sucker for romantic comedies um, yeah. and sort of romantic dramas. Um, and that's sort of what I tend to write in my spare time. And so... Write, you say? Write, I What say. a marvelous segue. Thank you. Perhaps we should talk about that. <laughs> so the reason you're here is not just because you... Uh, obviously, your day job, uh, you do a lot of writing about entertainment. Yeah. Not just video games, but mm-hmm. entertainment. Yep. It's a big part of what you do at IGN. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, you've written about It, The Dark Tower, mm-hmm. uh, you, but you've touched on, in the time I've known you there, I think, say, dozens mm-hmm. of, of different entertainment projects. But you also write screenplays. I do. Yeah, and that's something I've been doing since I guess that was my college major. So I've been, you know, doing it for at the very least since two thousand 
Jesus, when did I go to college? 2004. Okay. Oh, yikes. Is that um, when you wrote your first one? Was in college? Uh, yeah, I would have written my first one in college. Um, but yeah, I, I've been into creative writing pretty much my whole life. Um, my dad uh, is a published author, and I think I got it from him. And then very early on, uh, my parents sort of, who are cinemaphiles, instilled a, a deep sense of, of appreciation and sort of looking at movies through a different scope. Um, movies that probably an eight-year-old shouldn't usually be seeing um but i just remember like the first time i saw like dr zhivago when i was eight and, and bridge on the river kwai and the godfather and the usual suspects and all these things that um these movies and and the way i don't know i've always been a person who watches movies with subtitles on as well oh um, that's like even as because i like to read yeah yeah as, as early as i could i guess I, it wasn't until dvd that you really yeah. had the option to do that um but i like reading the movie um that was such an amazing revelation when dvd came out right was the, yeah. just like holy cow i have the subtitles right here i can just watch this any way i want to. yeah yeah um yeah and so you know from i don't know both of us sort of spend a lot of our time consuming stories whether mm-hmm. it's through games or movies or books or tv or music or things we hear from friends uh so from a very early age, I became sort of a glutton for stories and mm-hmm. storytelling, um, and and I try to consume and absorb and learn from as many as I can. You mentioned your father was a published author. What yeah. did he write? Uh, he wrote a uh, semi-autobiographical fiction novel that I've been trying to adapt into a thing for a very long time but it's very tough um it's about he was in the vietnam war um and he wrote a a book about a group um a group of vets uh in the 80s who served in the vietnam war who on halloween night uh they go to a meeting at a va and uh one of them pulls out a hand grenade and while they're like in a circle pulls the firing pin pulls i don't know how grenades work Pulls something, but it's still holding on. Yeah. And so as long as you apply pressure, the grenade won't go off. Right. The pin just holds the lever into okay. place. When you remove the pin, it releases a spring that allows the lever to move up. Mm-hmm. That starts the timer on the gotcha. grenade. However, until you let go of the squeezy pad on most grenades, mm-hmm. You're fine. it's not actually armed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as long as you hold on, it doesn't go off in theory. You learn something. Kids, don't try this at home. Yeah, I, yeah just probably don't mess with grenades. That's, yeah, not a good idea. Good. Yeah, actually, apparently the Soviets made at least one kind of grenade that just blew up when you took the pin out. That seems like a very like a suicide bad suicide grenade. Like a terrible move. Yeah, it was apparently like a kill yourself grenade. I thought that was gonna be like a Spencer's gift, like uh, like a goof grenade. A goof grenade? Yeah. I, I mean, like it, a like a whoopee cushion or like one of those like buzzers in your hand, but well, it, just in a slightly more tragic <laughs> scale. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your father, they have this grenade. Uh, yeah, and so uh, the the character pulls the pin on it, says, uh, like, we've been coming here for years, this is all bullshit, um, tonight we're gonna finally tell the truth, uh, tonight everyone's gonna tell their story about how they met death. And so the story is, and you keep coming back to this night, but um, each of the characters, when they're holding their grenade, tells their story of, of a moment in the war where they felt like they met death. But each story is a completely different genre. There's a uh, comedy, there's a romance, there's magical realism, there's a genuine horror story, there's a war story. Um, so you created a compilation series here. Oh, I mean, that's, so that's the book. Yeah. And that's and I think this, yeah, I've, I've been trying to adapt it into an a episodic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is, is interesting because episodic series, 
I mean, that's that's been a staple of television for a long time. Yeah, but yeah. What, what do we have? Right, we have Black Mirror. What else do we have? Yeah, right we have now? Black Mirror. But it's this is it would be Black Mirror, but with a spine. You know what I mean? Because like it has the. I feel like every episode would be would be it's peppered in with what's going on in, at the VA. So these are spokes on a wheel. Yeah, yeah. And little, each one, little closer to police story. But, yeah, but also yeah. Off. Yeah, I love it. like I tales would, from the crypt. If the crypt keeper was telling one story and hanging out with a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like that. Back man. To it. What's that? The crypt keeper. He's scary. The crypt keeper. This is Jim Henson's the storyteller. Here we go. Oh yeah, yeah there you there go. go. Yeah, so, yeah. I like the storyteller. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. God, I haven't watched that in a long time. Neither have I. It's been a long. It's been yeah. a long time. Uh, so yeah. That was a somebody, and was that the first thing you ever tried to adapt? Because that's the only thing I've ever tried to adapt. Oh, really? That, okay, so yeah, that, that's yeah. your only adapted piece. Yeah. Um, so let, let's let's let me ask you this: What's the first uh, what's the first screenplay you ever sat down that you can remember and tried to write? Was it something on God. notebook paper as a kid, or um, I, the first story I remember writing was Super Mario World fanfic, and I filled <laughs> up an entire notebook. <laughs> <laughs> but it was sort of cheating because at one point he goes to the ghost house and on a page it was just the the word boo in really big just boo. Oh, I definitely think that that's all right. Yeah, so that, that was, I feel like Vonnegut would have done the same thing. <laughs> yes, just several so, blank pages to yeah, to yeah uh, yeah to represent exactly. paranoia. But what about actually because we we talked very little bit about what mm-hmm. what distinguishes screenwriting sure. from other writing. Uh, screenwriting is a kind of a different art. Uh, what yeah. what makes it different, Marty? Um. Screenwriting is uh, the first thing when when I started screenwriting, which is like the first the cardinal sin of screenwriting is you write down exactly what the director should do. Mm-hmm. So you write down, oh, and then the camera is down here. Okay, and then this opens up on this shot, and then we cut to this shot, and then this is what the character is wearing. Storyboarding. Storyboarding. I'm like, no, that's not your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, your job is to create as a, as a good screenwriter is to um, create the characters. And give them the reason to exist in the movie, and to continue push against pushing against the problems that you line up. Okay. Until they find the central conflict, and then eventually either resolve the central conflict or succumb to the central conflict. Okay. And it's not your job to say where the camera is. It's not your job to say what this fight scene looks like or what this chase scene looks like. More like a Shakespearean they fight. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, m- I remember when you read Romeo and Juliet, you know, yeah. whenever somebody has a sword fight, they all shout at each other for 20 or 30 mm-hmm. paragraphs, and then it says, they, they fight. fight. Yeah. And then and it goes unla- back to the dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Unless there's any reason for the screenwriter to jump in there because you think storytelling wise, this needs to happen, then stay out of it. It's okay. not your job. Yeah. And so now I, I'm now hearing the first few words of the fake Mr. Lovejoy script from, uh, uh, oh, get shorty. Oh, uh, we're talking about Lovejoy sits watching it. Yeah, like, is that too much description? Yep, yep. Absolutely, uh, too yeah, much okay. description. All right. Um, so it's yeah, dialogue heavy. It's dialogue heavy. I think that's the reason uh, I gravitated towards it as opposed to like I've tried fiction writing, I've tried uh, novels, short stories, uh, but I think the reason I like screenwriting so much is because I love dialogue so much, and it's something that I when I talk about uh, sort of consuming stories, I am always fascinated most by the way every individual has a different turn of phrase the way we say things without saying things uh you know the way we're able to convey the thing is bad screenwriting is a character saying i'm sad or i'm happy no one says i mean some people say i'm sad uh you are able to tell someone is happy or sad or afraid or worried or anxious 
uh, not because they say those things in those words, but because of the context behind the words that they are saying. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, you're able to tell a friend's emotion based on their tone and verbiage and if they're telling you a story you're able to find the meaning behind it so is the screenwriter's job to try to make sure that the actor is going to reflect the proper tone or to create words that lead them to that tone it's i think words to lead them to that tone uh ultimately yeah screenwriting is kind of a scary thing because you 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 make a thing and then if someone if you're fortunate enough to be one of the very few people that is able to sell a thing that's you've given up your child for adoption. Ah. And you all you could do is cross your fingers that they found good parents. Well, that's the fun. I mean, yeah. you and I in our lives have both worked as professional writers in various mm-hmm. capacities. And it, it never stops being frightening every yeah. time I press the publish button. Yeah. Um, and that's through a, a content management system yeah. For, yeah. for the internet where you're just sending it live out there. But handing it to other people mm-hmm. to create something from what you've sent. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Yes, indeed. What was the, have you done that before? Have you seen what it's like when it goes out there in the wild? I have. Uh, in college, I have. Um, partially, um, the fault was mine just because I was a much younger writer and I wasn't, I don't think I understood the way stories are told as well as I do now. Okay. Uh, and part of it was just, it was a very amateur production, but uh, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> what did uh, you learn from writing a bad screenplay? Uh, I think w- what I learned after seeing it uh, presented in front of me was that uh, I don't, I didn't, I thought I knew how to write a female character. I didn't. Ah. Yeah. Um, Do you now? Maybe. Maybe. More so. Um, Last time you tried, how'd it work? I'm trying now and I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's very, it's, it's very easy to write um, a character that is much like yourself because mm-hmm. there's no one you know better than yourself. Um, it's much more challenging and taxing to uh, try to write a truly compelling three-dimensional character that avoids tropes that is someone who isn't you. If I'm trying to write a person of color or, or a woman or someone who's experienced past traumas or joys that I've never experienced, um, I feel like I'm someone who has a lot of empathy in life and I feel like that helps that but ultimately there's always this fear that I'm getting it wrong or who's, that who's good at that who's good at taking people that are perhaps very different than themselves personally or their experiences hmm. and writing versions of them who's very good at writing a wide variety of human beings uh i guess off the top of my head uh Paul Thomas Anderson. Ah, expound. Who, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is the uh, writer and director of uh, just a cavalcade of great movies, including uh, Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Nope, that's Paul W.S. Anderson, Event Horizon. Uh, No, he wrote... (laughs) The Three uh, Musketeers. (laughs) Oh, God, so bad. Yes, Paul Thomas Uh, Anderson. I was just being mean. (laughs) Um, But yes, Paul Uh, W.S. Anderson, very different writer. He's a very different writer. Uh, (laughs) Lovely, he has a lovely wife, though. Uh, Paul... Thomas Anderson, Jesus, I almost forgot which one I was talking about. <laughs> uh, that written, was mean. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, he's written uh, Boogie Nights and uh, Magnolia yeah. and Punch Drunk Love and There Will Be Blood, um, and The Master, and uh, he adapted Inherent Vice from Thomas Pinchon. Yep. Um, and he writes and directs um, most, if not all, 
he writes most, if not all, of the movies he's directed. Um, if you can successfully adapt something by Thomas Pynchon, you you, you probably, did good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Gravity's Rainbow still hurts my brain. That's one of those. We were talking about Finnegan's Wake before that. That's one of those books that's on a pile of. I'll get to it when I get a little bit smarter. It's I, like uh, what's I, the what's the David Foster Wallace one? Oh, uh, now my blank. I'm not dumb enough, not or a, I'm not smart not enough to remember. Work of staggering yeah. genius, not that the the big one. I, I'm sorry. I I just flashing to to Thomas Pynchon's appearance on The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. right? Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that? I forgot about that. Yeah. Where he's got the bag over his yeah, head. I'm yeah. a recluse. <laughs> I'm a recluse. <laughs> Playing himself. That was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that was really good. It <laughs> was great. Um, anyway, please continue with Paul W. S. Anderson. Stop it! Damn it! Uh, but no. So his movies, Boogie Nights, is about the uh, sort of the, the the rise and fall of the pornography industry in the Hollywood Hills. Um, Punch Drunk Love is about a, a a very a man sort of on the spectrum trying to figure out his life. Uh, Magnolia is a is a, has forty five characters in it. The Holy Blood is about a, an oil tycoon. Um, none of these things are who. Paul Thomas Anderson is mm-hmm. um, and yet he's created all of these characters from all these different walks of life that all feel real mm-hmm. and part of it is also he's been fortunate enough to surround himself by some of the best working actors of our time yeah he, um, do, he does tend to attract extraordinary talent yeah I mean when you're working with Daniel Day-Lewis and and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and mm-hmm. yeah you're you're doing something but good. you also get yeah I mean you get some of the best performances I, I mean that's where I, John C Riley's dramatic absolutely happened, yeah you know uh, I mean, probably the best performance in Mark Wahlberg's career yeah Burt Reynolds yeah there's some incredible <laughs> yeah. moments uh, and so you, you do you do have a, a so you can see the quality how much of it with Anderson Mm-hmm. is the fact that the films have a weird kind of hyper realism but also feel slightly dreamy like he changes the world on you yeah. a little too yes um which is something i i really admire and i feel like most of my favorite writers do that and i think it's something i do as well okay um it's something that aaron sorkin does who i really like the creator mm-hmm. of the west wing and the social network um he presents what is very clearly something he, he doesn't write like a strange it's not fantasy or genre mm-hmm. but it's like well this isn't how people speak, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I like how it sounds. It's sort of like Gilmore Girls. Where I'm like, none of you talk like that, but I like the way it hits my ears. Yeah, I don't remember the the movie. It's one of those. It's a very cheesy movie line. I can't even remember who delivers it, but somebody says nobody talks like that. And somebody yeah. says, yeah, but they think like that. And it's while it's yeah, it's yeah. very cheesy, but. The sentiment has some truth. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you're watching a movie that's written how you think, it can work. Yeah. Now, sometimes you don't get that. Sometimes you get something like you get in the novel in American Parade, sure. where you're looking at a situation where everyone is talking like they think, yeah. and none of it sounds like talk. Yeah, yeah. None, none of it sounds like speech. a conversation. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very... Di- I mean, I think it's Stephen King that points out, um, H.P. Lovecraft wrote something like three million words in his career, yeah. and less than 15,000 of them are dialogue. That's wild. Holy uh, moly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he knew where his strengths were. Yeah. And he stuck to them. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Whereupon a screenwriter does pretty much the opposite. Yeah. So, I definitely feel the opposite of that. So Paul Anderson's good at creating people that aren't like himself. Who's who's your favorite, um, if, if we're going to say, who's who's your favorite utility infielder of, of screenwriting? Someone who doesn't necessarily always nail it 
it to, to an artistic perfection, but sure. whose work you really enjoy or who, who really gets some things done. It's just like, wow, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad that got made. One of my favorite principles in all of life is the utility infielder. The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The baseball player who exists and prospers at very specific purposes. Yeah. You know what uh, the funny thing is? Uh, I don't think anyone can know who that person is because generally a person there's uh, a role in Hollywood which Carrie Fisher actually had for a long time that's called script doctor. Yeah. And that's someone who comes in and they don't get credited on the movie but they get paid. The studio's like, "Hey, we have this thing as is this is over budget or as is this isn't funny enough or as is this character isn't strong enough, fix it." Mm-hmm. And I like I can't imagine the number of iconic lines that are in some of our favorite movies that we probably don't know who wrote because at a certain point, someone who just got paid without a credit ended up changing that script. Doctor, um, yeah. And there's like Dan Harmon, the creator of community as uh, a script doctor on Dr. Strange. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple jokes in Dr. Strange where I'm like, I am 99% sure <laughs> Dan Harmon wrote that. Why are uh, script doctors credited? I don't know. Actually, I, I don't know enough about union rules um mm-hmm. but i know there's a very clear the different there's a difference between screenplay by and story by yep. and there's a difference uh if you're listing multiple screenwriters if you use the word and or if you use an ampersand or if you're you know just credited in the rolling commas yeah um they all mean different things. Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked. A Drucker came on once, Mike Drucker, mm-hmm. uh, who, who's written uh, across all kinds of uh, oh, yeah. projects. Oh, yeah, pretty much every medium you could think of. Yeah. And uh, Mike was talking about getting his first joke on SNL when mm-hmm. he was still working in the, the Clips room, yeah. uh, mostly on media, uh, on visual mm-hmm. media. And uh, But there was a tradition that you could submit jokes uh, for a weekend mm-hmm. update. I couldn't believe the union allowed that. Yeah. I was shocked by that. Yeah. Uh, but. They do unpaid labor. Uh, um, so. Oh no, I would. That wasn't what I was thinking. I, I, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go union. Um, but but uh, that um. was. What about? So what about? I not to be not to be the the disparagement no. thing here. Uh, what separates the people that are kind of good at it from the people that are great? In your opinion. That's a really good question. Um, I Why? Th- thank you. I think it's uh, it's. Ultimately, a confidence in the viewer. Hmm. I think it is a confidence that uh, you can show me something and I'll be able to understand what it means without telling me. Um, The thing I hate most is exposition for exposition's sake or a character saying a thing that is so clearly anyone who's been paying attention to the movie should understand this. Mm-hmm. And if a character says it out loud, I'm immediately like, that's not, no, none of us, like, you didn't need to tell us that. Like, yeah. this is, you're, you're treating us like idiots. Um, so I think it's that. It's trust in a, uh, trust in a, in the audience. And then it's also, um, any movie has its own set of rules and logic. Okay. And those can be whatever you want. Like you can, we were just talking about it. We both saw Stephen King's yeah. it recently. Um, and I feel like it was really good. I loved it. Uh, Me I f- too. <laughs> and I feel like one of the things it did was set up rules and logic. So it can create these scenarios that clearly don't happen in real life. There's really not a dancing clown named Pennywise who haunts your every fear. Really? Um, truly. I'm so my life something is a lie. <laughs> um, but I feel like the book, down. the book and the movie 
set sort of ground rules and stick to them. And so it creates the laws of the movie and it doesn't break them. Mm-hmm. So there's a logic behind it. So you understand where what he's are, going to pop up. You understand. Yeah. What are the laws of the movie when you're talking about it? Let's, let's go down that. Uh, a little bit. When I'm talking about it, you know, the there's the rules of he comes in every 27 years. He preys on children because he, I guess you get a little bit more of them from the book, but he, uh, he feeds on fears and apparently the fears of children taste better than the fears of adults. Oh, that's good. Which is something fitting. Yeah. I love, I love King's argument for that. You know, adults are afraid of, of income taxes. Taxes, Yeah. That doesn't taste good, but like mummies and werewolves (laughs) taste great. You know, actually I asked you this question, but I don't want to, I, I, people may not have seen the film yet. I usually don't care about spoilers, but this is so so new. New. Let's, let's ease off on it. And so let me ask you this. What are movies that trust their viewers? I mean, I have some popping into my head that I love right now, but what are movies that you, you mentioned that, that they trust the people watching the movie and don't feel the need to expose everything? Mm-hmm. What are some films that where the screenwriters trusted the, the viewer? Uh, I think <clears throat> one of my favorite uh, low-budget sci-fi movies uh, probably ever is a movie called Primer, oh. which is uh, about time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was made for like five grand by a bunch of students at the University of Texas. Um, yeah, movie about time travel. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Uh, but it is, it has a very complex but very rigid set of rules for how the time travel works in the movie. Yeah, and it lays them out and it adheres to it. And so the movie requires probably a couple of viewings to fully grab. But once you do, the logic and it's pretty airtight. Okay. It's hard to poke any holes in it. Like a lot of times you could be like, well, why didn't this character do this? Or why didn't this character do that? But you look at this movie and you're like, no, okay, I get it. That works in yeah, that world. Yeah. So, so, so much of the consistency. I, I mean, so this is, I, I think, one of the most classic examples and, and, and it's not going to make me, uh, not, there's nothing original about this, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I consistently love about um, about the earlier Coppola work and something mm-hmm. with The Godfather is that it just trusts you to follow what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also creates rules. Those rules aren't quite as obvious as they are in, in perhaps a fantasy or science fiction film where mm-hmm. we're bending reality. But there are still some very rigid structures that are happening around. But they, but you don't see the walls. Yeah, um, they're happening within it. Well, they're happening within a frame. But the Godfather never feels the need to explain to you what's mm-hmm. going on. It just presents presents a series of scenes telling a not entirely sequential story, yeah. but it does it with a logic that makes sure you don't get lost. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you never have anybody saying, you know, you never have anybody going, well, this is what's happening with the Turk who's dealing with the heads of this family, mm-hmm. who's dealing with the guy that we saw in the background of two other scenes. Yeah. He's actually the mastermind behind the whole thing, which we won't learn to the end of the movie, but we don't have to be told all that. Like, it's one of those cases, Mario Puzo's novel is not, as good mm-hmm. a story as the film The Godfather, yeah. precisely because in this particular case, and it's a fine novel, I don't yeah. want to take away from it, but the novel by a novel by necessity exposes. Yeah. The movie's better because it doesn't. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Uh, I really like that explanation. I, and I guess I know that that's a very film school 101 example to use, yeah. but it, it's still one of my favorite examples of nuance in a popular film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the like, it is a movie that the second you finish it, if you restart it, every scene means more knowing yep. what happens afterwards. Just yes. the opening lines of I believe in America means so much more after you've seen the movie. You're like, oh, God. Yeah. It's like, yeah. holy cow. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You don't get. I like going back. And one of the few advantages of getting old mm-hmm. is that you can go back and watch movies you watched 
when you were going to, like, you know, I'm 38. Mm-hmm. When I was 18, I was becoming an adult. Yeah. And I watched movies that I saw as I was becoming an adult. I was a grown up watching these movies. Mm-hmm. I can look back 20 years later and watch them again and have a second and entirely different adult perspective yeah, on absolutely. them. Absolutely. That is awesome. Yeah. It, it is incredible. It is it is the motion picture equivalent of finding your own Easter eggs, yeah. and I like it. <laughs> uh, it. I love that. It really is. It's, uh, but I've had that opportunity. Th- that's that's one of the ones that always stands out for me. But really, that, I, I think that, as you rightfully point out, most films have that that hallmark of, of building invisible universal worlds mm-hmm. and then allowing you to... And it's fun to, to dissect it, but at the best, you don't notice them. You don't see the seams in 100%. good filmmaking. That's the thing. That's It's... it's the thing with good music, it's the thing with uh, you know good camera controls in a video game. It's the thing with uh, good writing is that it's 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 neither seen nor heard. It's just there and and it's it just works. Yeah, I think about uh, a film we were just talking about earlier today, The Founder, a fairly yeah. recent movie that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Michael Keaton's performance is wonderful, but that movie benefits from a spectacular screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, just that doesn't seem spectacular. It's about yeah. making a restaurant. Yeah, but. The movie, there's a sequence where the McDonald brothers are explaining how they build the restaurant. And in the film, they're sitting in a restaurant talking with Michael Keaton, telling him. Mm-hmm. But the way they tell the story is not, it's narration with flashback, mm-hmm. except it's two people narrating the same story. Yeah. So they're having a conversation with each other and be like, tell him how it happened. And yeah. the, the, But then they'll be back and then one will interject. And so you're getting a flashback with two narrators. Yeah. I have not seen that much yeah. ever in a movie. It's an amazing sequence. Yeah. It's really well done. Yeah. And when you watch the movie the second time and you're looking for it, you're like, oh, this is bodacious yeah. writing. Yeah. Um, I had no idea how good this, I liked the scene, but yeah. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I don't think I've seen this in a movie yeah, before. Yeah, there's uh, something like that. You always run the risk of it could come off as gimmicky. Yeah. But when you knock it out of the park, it's like, Oh, this is incredible. Well, I didn't um, notice it the yeah. first time. It was the second viewing that I'm like, wait a minute. They're both was, telling yeah, me the story yeah. at once. Yeah. How is that happening? Yeah. Right? There's a, a similar, I mean, a very different scene, but sort of a similar, I don't want to use the word gimmick, but like no, gimmicks, a I'm risk gimmicks. that okay. they took and, and totally nailed it was uh, in the movie 500 Days of Summer. Okay. Oh, yeah. One, one of your all-time favorites. <laughs> one of my all-time favorites. Uh there is a scene where it's it's after him and uh, the two characters have broken up, but they're still trying to remain friends. Uh, he gets invited to a party at our apartment, and the frame splits in half, and one side is labeled expectations, and one side is labeled reality. And it's the same scene of him arriving to the party, the door opens, and in expectations, uh, she gives him a really loving embrace and kisses him on the cheek. And in reality, she gives him a very quick, cold hug and then turns around to go back to the party mm-hmm. and it's how the night progresses and it's all done without dialogue and it's it's what he thought would happen and what truly did happen now let's talk about this for a second yeah we were talking about screenwriting yeah and you just said it's all done without dialogue yes let's talk about the screenplay that led to that moment yeah and because you were talking early about the importance of not telling the filmmaker or how the director how to direct yeah so how do you do that what's the way i feel like Again, I don't know what the exact process in that was uh, because I know uh, oh, what's his name? Who directed it? Is directed the, the guy who directed the the, the two Spider Man movies that everyone forgot about. Sadly, <laughs> <laughs> I, his name escapes me. At the yeah, moment, yeah. So. Um, 
I actually don't. That's a really good question. I don't. I love that scene so much, and I don't know if that came from the writers, the the writing team behind it, or if it came from the director, or mm-hmm. if it was a collaborative effort. Yeah. Because with that, there is no dialogue, and I don't know if at that point, if the writers were ballsy enough to be like, "Hey, this is what's going to happen to the movie. You're going to yeah. split the frame." Now in you half. said you say ballsy, but earlier you said you didn't want the writers doing that. But like I said, with the gimmick is <laughs> I try not to do it because I don't have the confidence I could pull it off. Ah, okay. Um, so, yeah. What's a what's a what's a film with a bad screenplay that you enjoy, or at least enjoy oh, watching? Uh, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, what's what's fun with a bad screenplay that you enjoy watching? Because I, I can think of there's definitely a few for me. I, uh, what what comes off? Uh, what comes out of your mind first? Uh, I think that when I see the the mess that is Superman two, okay, yeah, um, Superman two should have by all rights been a spectacular movie, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a legendary story yeah. of of uh, of switching directors in the middle yeah. and and all all the all the worst of studio interference, yeah, uh, yeah. apparently happened in that. And yet there's still these all these moments where the screenplay is just great. Mm-hmm. But then there's all these moments where you like you feel like something is terribly out of joint. You know, when 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 you've got you've got um oh goodness, it's the guy who plays Zod, uh Terrence Stamp. Oh, Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Terrence Stamp is standing there. He's in the middle of like Oklahoma or something, knocking down helicopters, and suddenly there's this girl that walks up, she's like, Please, Mr. General, sir, please let my daddy down. <laughs> And it's like, what happened? Yeah, here? what movie is this? What what is happening? Yeah. And it's like they're like comically blowing, blow them a kiss, my dear. And they're like and everybody's like, ah, they're getting <laughs> like, the how did backwards. anyone think this was fine? Yeah, what how did that happen yeah. in the same movie where I'm getting these incredible moments yeah. about about giving up everything you ever you know, that's the about Superman. He doesn't just give up his powers, he gives up his identity. Yeah. For the sake of someone else, he decides to become a better person. He believes a better yeah. person because he's in love. Gives it up, then has to give up on the choice yeah. he made, and accept. He realizes something. It ultimately isn't his choice. Yeah, yeah it's really a, a yeah. has a great screenplay around that, and yet there are these interjections that just like this like, guy did this happen all cut up yeah. you know or the fact that the movie ends with superman killing a bunch of people mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not really superman's mo yeah you know yeah. even at the end and even theatrical superman's mo forget the, the mythology of the character superman one ends with superman after lois lane dies mm-hmm. and he flies backward around the world and saves her life lex Luthor killed lois lane and a bunch of other people by blowing up a nuclear yep. bomb. Mm-hmm. And Superman's answer is to deposit him at the police station. Yeah. What a good guy. But in Superman 2, he's just like, I'm just going to murder you now, Terrence mm-hmm. Stamp. Wait, is it, doesn't he put him in like the negative zone? No, no. At the end of Superman 2's theatrical cut, Superman crushes Terrence Stamp's hand and throws him into a giant hole in the Fortress of Solitude where he dies. Yeah. And the other two are also killed. Uh, the yeah, second one, the big coming. guy jumps and falls in a hole, and Lois Lane just punches uh, what's her name into into a pit. I like that. Well, we don't know if everyone dies at the bottom of that hole. They, Maybe there's they like a trampoline. It's bottom. a big old hole. It's a big hole. <laughs> now, when you watch the uh, actually, when you watch the Richard Donner cut, mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene where he drops them all off of jail. Uh, that was the original script. Uh, they actually just reused the scene uh, from from Superman One and just depo- like composited the three actors. Well, it, with, with it, now I'm taking everyone down a long tunnel yeah. here, and I'm sorry, but um, Superman Two, 
uses the Superman one gimmick of running time back, back in the yeah. original. That was the the idea. Maybe they had a twice? very different vision. No, but the way it was supposed to work out yeah. was very different. The original plan changed between movies as production interference took interesting. place. Interesting. Because both movies were largely filmed at the same time. Oh, interesting. That makes yeah, sense. There's a lot yeah. of overlap with that. That's so, funny. Yeah, Superman 2, 1 and 2, that's a fascinating film story. Yeah. Um, I like that. I, like, I, I mean, I love uh, Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew, one of my favorite books about yeah. movies, if you've, if you've never read that. Yeah. Um, hey, let's go make a movie for $6,000 in the middle of Mexico using parts I picked up from like a Yeah, I, lo- I love El Mariachi and Desperado, and those movies are kind of... <sighs> You're kind of dumb when you think about them. Oh, I love El yeah. Mariachi. I, yeah. I think oh, great, my gosh. But, yeah. no, it's, that, that, that's the most one. It's guy in all black that's the scary assassin mm-hmm. that everybody's afraid of that carries his weapons around a guitar case. Mariachi guy who wears all black because mm-hmm. he's a mariachi and carries his guitar in a guitar case. Guitar cases get switched. Yeah. Assassin finds himself on the run with a guitar and yeah. a bunch of people trying to kill him. Mariachi finds himself with a bunch of guns, guns. and everybody thinks he's an assassin. Yeah. It's great. That's a great setup for 90 minutes of people shooting at each to other. To make it for 10 grand or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I, I sold. <laughs> I like utilitarian movies. Now, I'm doing all the talking instead of the asking. I'm no, no, no. That, yeah. I like a good, solid 90-minute script full of flaws, mm-hmm. but full of great moments and great lines. It's funny. Uh, sorry, as you were thinking, like, talking, I was, I was thinking about a lot of action movies with like quippy like one-liners are ultimately like this is dumb and no one would no one would speak like dirty harry or no one would speak like the man with no name but i'd love those movies to death Do you? Like, i love the fistful of dollars trilogy um i love the dirty harry movies partially because i just see him like just rampantly killing a bunch of people in my neighborhood i'm like what are you doing here <laughs> like, that's like three blocks away from my life this, is, like, very this weird. is weird this should yeah. not be happening here yeah um yeah i was thinking of like there are movies that I love visually that, like, ultimately, I think are very dumb, like The Village, um, the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> movie. Like, I think the movie is beautiful, and I think three or four of the characters understand the movie they're in, and everyone else doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it ultimately is one of just the dumbest twists ever. So uh, you like the film, but you don't but like I it? But I like, I will defend the movie. Um, and I think it's I think it's really pretty. I think there are certain scenes that are really scary. Um, mm-hmm. I think the music's great. I think it's really well shot. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's... Not good. <laughs> no, it's, it's I, I. That was a fun. That was when he could do no wrong. Sure. There were, once upon a time, kids. M Night Shyamalan was on top of the world. Yeah. Uh, and they were. He was the next Spielberg. That's, you, what, that's yeah. what all the magazines put that's on the cover. What we thought. Well, he made he made the Sixth Sense, and then he made Unbreakable, Unbreakable and then and, he made Signs, and we're like, all right, everything's yeah. everything's turning up Millhouse, and then I, he made The Village. I love Unbreakable. Yeah. So much. I still adore that movie. Yeah. I don't know where you fall on Unbreakable. What do you? What do you think? Oh, it's it's my favorite of his movies. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's incredible motion picture. Um, every time I go back to it, I find that's another one of those. So let's uh, let's let me jump to a kind of a lightning round question here yeah. for a second. Let's talk. You were talking about this quippy bits. Uh, you kind of uh, you kind of predicted where I wanted to go with this. Before we jump into this, I do want to thank our Patreon producers, uh, Nick Rea and Robert Nieder, whose generous support makes the show possible, and also all of you who give on Patreon. Thank you so much for subscribing, joining the Pockets Full of Soup Facebook group, which is totally free. If you guys want to join and have it yet, I'm in it's it. It's a fun place. You are. I'm in it. It's no very kidding. Good group. Yeah. Aww. You're so sweet. I didn't know that. I, I clicked like. Will, would you? Will you? Will you come in and say something? Sure. What are you gonna say? What into the group? I don't know. I'll write. I'll write it down. It'd be like Marty Sleva. Ask me anything. I'll Go. do. I'll do an AMA. An AMA? Yeah, that's an AMA. Okay, an AMA. An mm-hmm. AMA. All right. You heard it here first. Marty's AMA. Right, we're moving forward. <laughs> I Gross. don't know what I'm talking. Gross. About. <laughs> 
I don't want to talk about my Emma anymore. All right, all right. My Emma Vice? My Emma Vice. Like there we it. go. Yeah. Yep. Don Johnson, man. What a career. What a name. Ah, oh, man. That Barracuda that he had in Ash Bridges. Yeah. I like how he said, what a career. Is it really what a career? I don't know. He was uh, he was in the, the seminal uh, television miniseries, The Rebels, uh, sequel to The Bastard. Uh, where he plays Revolutionary War Guy. You know, Have you ever watched this? A lot more about Don Johnson than I do. If you ever want to see Don Johnson wearing a tri-cornered hat and puffy shirt, well, shooting people I do. with dueling pistols and speaking with a southern accent, you really need to watch uh, the, the Rebels. Hamilton, it's... coming this fall. Yeah, I, I have a I have a love that... You were talking about bad screenwriting. <clears throat> a love for 70s television miniseries yeah. that cannot be quelled. Um, I, And those are such a strange combination of audacious audacious hope and pageantry mm-hmm. austere television budgets and ridiculous 70s filmmaking principles yeah. all kind of rolled together into one place and uh there's nothing quite like them i love that yeah I, the john jake's bastard and rebels are, are two of my favorite things that were ever on tv because I'm sorry of that. I, I besmirched the bad name or the good name don johnson uh, don johnson oh no he's he's it's that's fair uh be smirch away <laughs> No, he's great. Um, let's talk about those uh, those quippy moments. What are, your, um, what are moments that made you laugh and still make you laugh? In, uh, in film. In film. Yeah, moments uh, in film that make you laugh and still make you laugh. I go back. I feel like, I don't know. The funny thing is you're saying in film. I would say of the last 15 years that mm-hmm. television has far and away surpassed film in terms of comedy. Okay. Um, I think... Uh, Arrested Development, Community, 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, certain seasons of The Office. Uh, right now, Rick and Morty, uh, certain seasons of Bob's Burgers are s- far and away funnier than most movies I've seen Why recently. do you think that's working? Um, one, I'm, a, I'm personally a, a much bigger fan of uh, serialized stuff. I'm a not a bigger fan. I'm a big fan of serialized storytelling. Okay. And I think the reason some of that works is because uh it allows us to get to know these characters and yeah. lets these actors get to know these characters so well that they become synonymous with them. Mm-hmm. Um any of those shows I mentioned, I mean from The Office to uh 30 Rock to Parks and Rec, uh those actors become just so one-to-one with those characters that the jokes just get better as they go yeah. on. Like seeing Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin's relationship in 30 Rock just gets funnier and funnier. And as those actors learn each other and those characters learn each other and the audience learns about those characters, I feel like they're able to take more and more risks that absolutely work. Um, There's like, there's just like strange, there's a 30 Rock line where uh, it's in one of the seasons. It was actually, the episode was written by Donald Glover from Community and the rapper Childish Gambino. Um, he uh it's he's it's kenneth is trying to teach uh he's trying to teach someone he's trying to teach tracy what a or tracy trying to teach uh kenneth what a humble brag is yeah and kenneth uh is like oh i think i get it and he said uh i can't change the channel because there's a water bug on my tuner And to to Kenneth, that's the that's his humble brag is I can't change the channel because there's a water bug on my tuner, and it's so <laughs> dumb. But I remember hearing that, and I'm like, who would come up with that sentence? Uh, Why write that sentence? And I don't know. I, you, you've worked next to Brian Altano and Max oh, Scovel, yeah. Because I mean, some, that's the kind of stuff you just hear that, come over that that wall. broken human beings come up with. Yeah, yeah I'm, that's I'm, true. I'm forever fortunate to to work 
next to two just strange, strange men. Well, you're, you're don't discredit yourself. I don't know. I think the people who know you realize this, but I wonder if your audiences realizes just how much of the great humor that comes out of the place you work comes through you. You are a funny dude and it's, a funny writer. I really appreciate that. It's I oh I don't feel like it's confident. I feel like we all make each other better. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it's one of those things where we're sitting in this little group of of I mean you you sat right in that nook, but having Brian and Max and Alana and Andrew, I mean all of them have been on the show, so that's not like I'm saying weird names to people. Yeah. Um but it's just like it is it is our industry seems to attract people that in one way or another are just we're broken. We're just mm-hmm. weird. Got some weird stuff going on. So it's some, a writer's room. Yeah, it is a writer's room. That's it's what it literally feels room. with. And if like you want nothing more than to make the people who make you laugh laugh. When I was a kid, uh, Nick at Night was mm-hmm. a new thing, and um, the Dick Van Dyke Show was on all the time. Mm-hmm. And because my parents were the age of people targeting Nick at Night at night, that was what was on. So I watched old Dick Van Dyke Show episodes, and I thought it was fine that Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore were hanging around their living room mm-hmm. and doing you know late 50s early 60s stuff and that was great but what i loved about the show was that he was a writer yeah and every day he would go to work in the writer's room and he'd hang around with these kind of weird people mm-hmm. all day and they would try to come up with things to, he wrote for a comedy show yeah. if i remember right and they would all sit and try to think of ways to make their boss look funny mm-hmm. the only time in my entire life i've actually felt like that's going on is when i sat and worked with y'all yeah that was what it was like. Yeah, and the, like the, the joy you get of making, like I said, making someone laugh who has continually made you laugh for years it really feels pretty good. It yeah. does feel good. So you you actually anticipated my next question when you brought up television, mm-hmm. um, because where I want... Horror. Yeah. Is classically a medium that is at its most stabbingly fear-inducing, mm-hmm. I think, through literature and through film. Yeah. Television horror is hard to do. Yeah. And I, I, I believe that's because of the commercial breaks. Having to write around yeah. the axe has always made that difficult. But there are times TV has been frightening. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Marty, what are the examples in your mind of frightening television? What scared you? So full disclosure, um, I'm un- no, I'm not, I'm not unscarable. I'm just genuinely scared all the time. Uh, no, f- horror is probably my f- maybe my favorite one of my favorite genres, and it's something that I have never tried to write. No kidding. Yeah. Why? I don't. I've never come up with the premise. I've never had the thing. No kidding. Yeah. Never. Never anything like Bob had a knife and he was mad. No. Okay. Bob had a knife and he was mad. My favorite I mean, haiku. Yeah. There we are. That's, You've been that's, watching too much Twin Peaks. No. Because um, <laughs> Bob did have a knife and he was mad. <laughs> no. It's just reminding me of. I, I have a. I have a friend, and we were talking once about. Uh, he works, my friend works in uh, uh, motion graphics. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how when he gets his motion graphics files from another artist, they're always like labeled mm-hmm. with cute little names. Yeah. Like this guy gives all, instead of just being like horizontal line, it'll be it'll be like boop, boop, boop. Yeah. Like the names on that. I love that, yeah. So he gets his, but we were talking about what it'd be like if those just kept getting weirder and weirder. Yeah. Like it was like, Andrea left me. <laughs> and then it was like, I hid the knife. And then it was just like, <laughs> <You're> like <laughs> Oh no! Should I be keeping these my accomplice? Well, anyway, uh, uh, so you've never you never come across a, a premise. I've never no no it's it's never. I mean, I would love to. Um, and you you see a lot of times. I mean, you see this year one of the one of the you know biggest movies of this year was Get Out, and that yeah. was you know from a from someone with a comedy background. Yeah. Uh, well, horror and comedy 
have always had a yeah. I mean, the, the line between laughter and, and screaming I mean, a lot is, very... is yeah i mean i was laughing several times i was scared at it well that's uh, how, last that's how it works yeah, right? yeah yeah um yeah i don't know what's funny we were talking about this earlier you don't see a lot of prime examples of good horror on television which is funny considering we're in sort of a golden age now of mm-hmm. of you know if you look at the last 10 15 years of stuff like uh breaking bad and Mad Men and the wire and game yeah. of thrones and and uh the leftovers um there are things that TV does a really good job of giving me a sense of dread. Um, I think the effective episodes of Black Mirror do that. Yeah. I think The Leftovers did that. Um, I would say Handmaid's Tale did that, but genuinely like lean back in my seat and try to cover my eyes because I don't want the thing to pop up in front of me. TV doesn't really do that a lot. Is it the serialized element of knowing they're going to be around for the next episode? I mean, you don't need to... If you make it one continuous story, you don't need to have that. I mean, look at Game of Thrones. Yeah, season one very much clearly proves no one's safe on that show. That's true. I I think I, you know, when it comes to ensemble cast shows, I think you're totally overlooking the masterwork that is the Vampire Diaries. But we'll we'll move on from. Is that horror? No, is that still on? That's better. (laughs) That's supernatural. The first four seasons of the Vampire Diaries is called Game of Thrones, but better. Yeah, that's that's what. uh, Yeah, I never thought uh, Game of Thrones, but better. I never thought like True Blood got scary. Like some no, of the first no. couple seasons were interesting, but there's some clever stuff on True Blood. But I never really thought it was all that frightening. Yeah, um, you do get frightening television, but it is it is more unusual. You were talking about quippy one-liners and action movies, mm-hmm. and there ones that stand out for you. Uh, one-liners and action movies. I think uh, like the effective ones. Like one of the honestly one of the screenplays uh, I studied in college that I think a lot of people study is Die Hard. Oh. Um, Die Hard is the structure of Die Hard's near perfect, um, and the way it so smartly sets up John as a character and and strips him away of. I mean, now the movie is like it's. I don't know the movie is at a surface level just an awesome action movie. Yeah, cool action, great characters, amazing one liners. Uh, uh, he's as great an action hero as is. Uh, uh, that's a surface level. Literally one layer below that, it is a amazing uh, comment on the concepts of masculinity, and and you know he is stripped of his masculinity in having to fly here to sort of finalize his divorce from his wife, and then he is stripped of his shoes and forced <laughs> to literally walk on broken glass because that is the thing he does. He says when he gets to off a flight, he likes to take his shoes off and he likes to curl his toes in the carpet. Well, he learned that from the man on the plane. Plane, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so by him doing that, it's like, oh, you've set up all of your problems for the movie because if you only had your shoes, things would get better. So you feel like it's just well-constructed to watch a person be... But it doesn't feel like an Eli, Eli Roth film. I mean, he's not no, being no. tortured exactly. Yeah, no, but- totally. But it is like, he seems like an everyman. He's just a dude, he's yeah. wearing his, his... takes his shirt off, he has his tank top on, he has his khakis, and he's just running around, he gets dirty, he gets bloody, he looks tired all the time. Do you have any romantic one-liners you like? Um... Yeah, I I adore like I said, Five Hundred Days of Summer, um, and uh, there's the the Zoe Deschanel character in that movie is someone who never believes in the idea of true love and the yeah. one, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt does, and they get together, but then they split up, and then their final scene of the movie, they're talking, and he, she's remarrying and she's leaving him, and. She was like, hey, you were right. 
like, I want to tell you, you were right about the concept of the one. It just wasn't you. Yeah. And like that to me is like both like beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. And I got a lot of that in La La Land last year too, which I also absolutely adored and has one of the, like when I'm talking about a scene where, uh, when I was talking about saying how the characters feel without saying how the characters feel, uh, there's a scene halfway through that movie where uh, Ryan Gosling surprises Emma Stone by uh, she doesn't know he's uh, home, like she thinks he's on tour, and she gets home and he's in the apartment and he's made dinner and there's uh, like it's like a cake or a roast or I think it's dessert is in the oven, and what starts off as this beautiful romantic dinner just yeah. fucking gets torn apart and no one and and it's one of those. As they keep talking, no one is saying, I'm mad at you or I hate you, but you start seeing what has happened to their relationship all while, like, smoke is filling the room (laughs) because the the dessert is burning. Burning. Yeah. Um, It's a great scene. Yeah, and I think it has has one of those, like, uh, one of them says to the other one, you only like me when I'm on my ass because it makes you feel better about yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And like that's the moment I think that the, the that she gets up and walks out of the room. Um, and it's just one of those like devastating because you look at it, I'm like, yeah, I've been in a fight like that. Yeah, like I've, I've definitely been in a fight like I've that. Where it's this moment where yes. it's like I don't know where that came from, but one of us definitely escalated it and took one step too far. Um, <laughs> this is the Brick Tamlin yeah. of, of romantic moments, yeah. right there. Yeah, it's funny. I when I think of the word romantic, it doesn't to me romantic doesn't have to have. A happy ending romantic yeah. can be um, that's like romance in real life there's mm-hmm. happy romance and there's sad romance and yeah. if you're lady gaga there's bad romance and or, if you're christian slater there's true romance <laughs> and if you were that other man there's romance of the stone that uh, that other man was michael douglas i believe yeah william yeah. goldman was that his i don't know I, i'm just flashing back to to going back to the beginning of the show with full circle with our three player games, just what happens if you have Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul W S Anderson, and Wes Anderson uh, all playing uh, Rampart or Rampage together? Uh, what happens? <laughs> I was just like assign assign the giant monster that each one would be to. Yeah. Wes Anderson would be the lizard. Paul Thomas Anderson would uh, would be the chimp, and. Uh, they forgot to send the invite to Paul W. S. Anderson. You saw, you leave Paul W. S. Anderson alone. He's provided <laughs> he's provided many hours of entertainment. I really like Event Horizon. We're doing a feature at IGN for October of ranking the top hundred horror movies. Yeah, and I'm fighting hard to have Event Horizon at like a solid ninety four. Event Horizon is a good film. You guys are doing top one hundred horror movies. Yeah. Oh man, that's rad. It's oh, rad. Yeah, that's yeah. uh, the, the the no pun intended. It's that that final deliberation is going to be a bloodbath. Oh, I can't even imagine. Ah, yeah. oh, I said no pun intended. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh man, you were talking about the those incredible scenes. I, I um yeah. Do you have I, any romantic moments that sort of or, or oh, like, uh, uh, there's one. This is again. I I the, those you picked two of the, the the absolute best, but there's a lot that strike me. But in terms of terse romance, mm-hmm. there's a moment I love from an action movie. I I I think Last of the Mohicans is an action mm-hmm. movie hidden in the shell of of something else. Of um, James Fenimore Cooper yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah, but it's almost almost entirely a pure action yeah. movie. Um, but there is a moment where they're in a fort and it's dark and there's, it's firelit. And, um, the older sister is after she and, and her younger sister and Danielle Lewis and their friends have been through this horrible ordeal and she's just cutting bandages. Um, and Daniel Lewis is standing at the other end of the room and he's just staring at her 
There's not a word said. Mm-hmm. And finally, she looks up at him, and she's like, what are you looking at, sir? And he just says, I'm looking at you, miss. And she looks back down, and then she looks back up right into his eyes. Yeah. Fiercely. Yeah. And just like, and I'm like, Daniel Day-Lewis, take me. Take me now. <laughs> like, that's did. my response yeah. to that moment. Yeah. I, I realize it's very cheesy, but no, it's a it's a wonderful Hollywood. I think cheese, like, cheesy. There's good cheese. Yeah, it's good cheese. It's good it's, cheese. It's a delicious cheese, yeah. that moment. I, I really do love that. I'm just, I love that larger than lifeness mm-hmm. element of it. But I also like you deeply love sad, sentimental moments. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite movies about the nature of relationships is The Big Chill. Yeah. Um, which is, in addition to being one of the best screenplays I think ever written, mm-hmm. is also extraordinarily well directed and is a early film for all kinds of Hollywood talent. Glenn Close, Kevin Klein, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, th- these people were, were all kind of emerging in yeah, this one yeah. film together. And it's an ensemble cast film about the nature of relationships and growing mm-hmm. up. There's a moment where they're most of the characters are older and Meg Tilly is younger than them. And they've all just met her and they're talking about their dissatisfaction mm-hmm. with their lives, their relationships. Many of them are in, in marriages that have been strained or broken. And they're also talking about the friend that's just killed himself. And they ask Meg Tilly, you know, what was he like there at the end? And she says, I haven't known that many happy people. What are they like? Yeah. What are they like? Yeah. And I remember that as a child watching that or as a teenager just being like, is that what it's like? Yeah. And it turns out it is. Yeah. I love that. Um, as romance goes, that's done a lot for me. Yeah. It wasn't about lowered expectations. It was about happiness being such a mercurial thing. Yeah. That I might forget how to recognize it. Yeah. Or what you think is going yes. to bring you happiness doesn't. Exactly. Um, and that's the final, that's the, the graduate in a nutshell. Oh. <laughs> I just love that final moment. And that's not even, that's the whole thing of that thing is um, that whole powerful final moment isn't a word in the script. It's just how the actor's face turn when they finally get together and they finally have it and then the camera lingers on their face and they're like, oh, Oh, no. (laughs) So good. Yeah. It's really weird. When I I was working at IGN, I wrote a 10 favorite movies article. Mm -hmm. We've just gone through three of them. Oh, nice. In a row. The last time he can speak chill in The Graduate are all on that list. So it's very funny. Um, It's really good. Thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming down here and doing mm-hmm. this. Uh, you're going to be uh, on an episode of Pockets Full Quarters. I am. I'm going to know that it's that one because we've done this one already. Yeah. I'm not going to be halfway through and be like, like, which one, one are we going to talk about? Well, I really did not rein this one in very well, but oh, I appreciate that's it. Fine. Oh, no, you said great you know stuff. That's, how, that's how stories work. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Big messy ones. I yeah. like big messy stories. Did you ever hear when, one of my favorite quotes about, I don't even know where this came from. I think Tolstoy said that all great stories are one of two things. And it is uh, a man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. I've always thought about that. And I've, always, really cool. I've always thought that that's, that's kind of interesting. I like that, Marty. Thank yeah. you for saying that. Of course. Shout out to Tolstoy. Shout out to Tolstoy. And what are the shout outs for Marty? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at McBiggity with two G's and two T's. 
Uh, I host a variety of shows over at IGN, uh, including Beyond, which is our PlayStation show, which goes up every Tuesday, and Unlocked, which is our Xbox show that goes up every Wednesday. Uh, and then, like Jared, I've appeared on several episodes of The Comedy Button, which is another... A fine program. Another fine program from, yep. from Friends, as well as various kind of funny shows, also from Friends. Yep. We have a lot of talented friends. We do have a lot of talented friends. I we generally spend most of my time standing on their shoulders. Good. Um, yeah. Good. They, yeah, they're, yeah. They're very... They have broad they're, shoulders. They're, they're very load-bearing. Yeah. yeah. Load-bearing friends. Excellent. Load-bearing friends. Yeah. Have load-bearing friends, guys. It's always a good idea. Yeah. Uh, load-bearing friends are the best. Mm-hmm. And be a load-bearing friend whenever possible. Yep. Uh, I, that's uh, that's uh, solid advice. That's the kingdom of heaven yeah. right there. Uh, all right. So anyway, thanks so much, Marty. Thank you so My much. My pleasure. And uh, until next time... Um, I don't know. I don't have a catchphrase at the end. Wiggle wiggle. Soup's on. Soup's on. Okay. <laughs> Bye.